podcast volume. We're back at again. Hangover edition. A couple days uh, late there, but it was a long four-day weekend, holiday uh, weekend. And, uh, you know, we needed a couple extra days to digest. Uh, I'm your host, Zach Berry. Joining me, Benjamin Woodhouse, Nicholas Carr. Gentlemen, um, now we've had a, a, a couple days to digest. Typically, we do this the uh, the morning after when it's fresh. Uh, whether the the wounds are fresh or the uh, the hangover is uh, well worth it, and that's fresh. What are we thinking as we record this Tuesday evening about last weekend's thirty-one twenty-four Egg Bowl victory for Lane Kiffin and the Rebels? Um, I'm not disappointed in it. I think any time you can win the Egg Bowl, um. You know, it's a it's a just a good win in general. I, here's the thing: that's just a that's a weird game for Ole Miss. It's always or any rivalry game is weird for for teams, but that's just a you know it's just one of those games where um, you just gotta f- find a way to win, and um, I think Ole Miss did that, and you know. Is is it the best Ole Miss has played this year? No. Also, I think that's the most impressive front seven Ole Miss has played against all year. Um, State was pretty good up front on defense. Ole Miss has a good offensive line, and State got good push up front pretty much the entire game. I say that to say Ole Miss still had 545 yards of offense. You know, if the defense was a normal – if it was a normal year – um, I think this is even further proof that that game's something like thirty-one to ten. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know that we played the best game. Yeah, we've played all year, and there's a lot of negatives about the game. But man, the the feel around the program today feels so much different than it did. I mean. Yeah, and you know, definitely after the Vanity game, but even after the South Carolina game, and I don't know if it's because we don't have a game this week, and so we've just come off a, a good win, and there's no game to kind of focus on. But I mean, just the excitement uh, that we saw, you know, with the hats and the t-shirts and the smoking the cigars that were posted. I know some people have said that apparently that's something Ole Miss has done for years, and Tuberville did it, you know, after he beat MSU at one point, perhaps. But I don't remember the public, you know publicizing it like we did well like we've done it this year and so the excitement we have you know they're talking about some you know uh, recruits coming in soon uh excuse me commits coming in soon the excitement we have right now wasn't in the program a week ago and i feel like that's a bigger deal even than just winning a football game is that it feels like this one was kind of like hey we're not great this year and we, we still beat you guys and we probably should have beat y'all worse you know, we're coming. It's only getting better because the defense is not getting worse. So you assume the offense is going to stay the same or improve. Defense is obviously going to improve. You know, things should continue getting better. I said it to y'all after the game. Um, you know, I used the phrase that has been popularized on uh, the popular podcast, the uh, Solid Verbal. Um, you know, Ty Hildenbrandt, the host always says you got to win your clunkers uh, you know those weird games that you're the better team but it's closed for whatever reason uh you know rivalry game throw the records out all the cliches 
And this was a game that was important for Ole Miss and for this staff and for this roster to win, just to continue to learn how to win. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, for the last four years, this team just hasn't won. Um, you, know, you had a couple moments here and there. You had one Egg Bowl. You had a, a road win at Kentucky that was that was big. But, I mean, outside of that, it was a lot of fourth quarter either leads or just chances to win a game that were just just evaporated. And, you know, you've had some moments this year where it looked like that might happen again with South Carolina, with Kentucky. Um, you know, Auburn was the reverse where – Ole Miss really had a shot to win there. And same with, I mean, same with Arkansas. I mean, despite yeah, the, yeah. the six turnovers, you still had a shot to win at the end. So there were, there were some spots in this season where you have to think that that roster has that thought creeping in the back of their mind. Like, oh, here we go again. Like, we're going to, we're going to let another one slip away. But, um, you know, Ole Miss was by far the better team on the field. Um, I, they, Certainly left at least by my count nine points out there with the. I thought Kiffin was super aggressive early. Jeff Levy was super aggressive early. They were going for the jugular. They were going for it on fourth down. Um, you know, obviously you're still getting a feel for the flow of the game. Probably, you know, hindsight. Obviously, you take those points, and then if Braylon Sanders doesn't drop a touchdown, Ole Miss cruises to a 47-24 win. But yeah, like Ben said, you still. Um, just absolutely cruised offensively. You have 550 total yards. You run for 163. That was just under four yards for rush, but I thought the offensive line played really well because, as Ben said, I mean, State had a had a good plan. Zach Arnett made a lot of adjustments in the second half to give Ole Miss a little bit of trouble. Um, Errol Thompson's really good. And uh, I'll say this, Matt Corral had a chance to kind of revert back to that Arkansas game. Mississippi State was taking away a lot of a lot of the first first and second progressions. Instead of trying to force things, instead of panicking, instead of trying to just heave the ball deep, he was smart, threw the ball away, checked down a bunch, tucked it and ran. It was a very mature approach for Matt Corral and the rest of the offense. Um, Jerry Neely was outstanding. And then, I mean, we've gone almost six and a half minutes and we haven't mentioned Elijah Moore yet. Breaks the single-season receptions record that was held by A.J. Brown. I believe I called that. So if there was a prop bet for that, that would have been cool. Um, he did He did get the record. Um, Braylon Sanders and Dontario Drummond both continue to step up huge. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this was a game that almost desperately needed, not just for program momentum, but just for 2020 and, and this season because it was a game, like we said, a clunker that you just have to win and they got it done. Yeah, the other day, Zach, you talked about him setting the single-season record, and I said, how many does he need? And you said 12. And I think you kind of kept talking, and maybe perhaps I was on mute. In my mind, I was just thinking, this is this is ridiculous. I don't know why you're saying this. He's not catching 12 passes <laughs> against MSU. And I, so I'm calling myself out because I, I thought that was the dumbest thing I heard on that podcast. Like, he's not catching 12 passes in one game, especially in a game that – I guess a team that, that, you know, they would want to take that away from us. I kind of thought, just being totally forthright with you, I kind of thought he might have an Auburn-type game and only have three, four catches. You know, what for Auburn, he had, what, 24 or 34 yards. It was was a bad game. It was his only Mm -hmm. bad game of the year. I kind of thought that coming in, he was going to have that against MSU. The fact that he had 12 catches, and this dude runs the perfect 
seven yard route to get just past the sticks. I, I mean, it is, it's, it's an NFL route. Honestly, it is the best thing I can describe it as is a guy who runs just past the sticks and gets the first down and keeps the drive moving. And I think he did that three separate occasions on Saturday night, the total difference in the game. It, Cause I would assume that we probably scored on at least one of those three possessions that he kept alive. And it's a seven point game. Ben, were you going to say something? Um, yeah, I look the way that I sorry, I was having to having to move rooms. <laughs> um, my wife was almost on the podcast. Um, so no, we uh, he he did that, and it really was kind of a a an unnoticed game. I mean, it, he he was under the radar most of the game. I, I guess it just tells you how good he's been you know, over the last, I guess, over the course of the season. But a guy has 12 catches for 150 yards or whatever, and, you know, he doesn't seem like he kills it. I mean, that's like most people's career game. And I know it might have seemed different on TV, but in person, it just didn't feel like it was all about Elijah Moore. And uh, which is – I'm saying that in a good way. Like, you know, when you have a guy who can catch 12 balls and it doesn't seem like it's just been spectacular for him, you know, that's a good thing for your team. I Well, you know, Ben, you, you sit down there pretty close to the sideline so you can see it, but I was actually on the sidelines for this game, had the opportunity to be down there. And the speed of which he gets in and out of cuts and his acceleration was what was so impressive. There were multiple times, as Nick talks about, him getting to the sticks, knowing where they are, catching the football, but then just getting upfield with such quickness. And also, like, I mean, I'm not a big dude. I mean, I'm if we're if we're doing height and weight here on a podcast, I mean, I'm 5'10", 170. And, I mean, I've, I was bigger than Elijah Moore. But the dude is just – as slippery as can be and as sneaky strong. I mean, he was shedding tacklers, getting first downs, fighting off linebackers. And man, I tell you what, and Jerry Neely had a hell of a game just under hundred yards. Those two dudes take an absolute beating. And for them, it's, it's crazy. I mean, they get up, they pop right back up and, and you know, the, the speed with which the offense, they ran tempo, they ran a little hurry up. They slowed things down. It's, I thought the second half they made some adjustments and, and started running the ball a lot more. Henry Parrish got a got a couple carries, made a couple really big runs. Um, damn near scored uh, towards the uh, – I think that was the end of the third quarter. But um, I, I think that's something that goes unnoticed with Elijah is just the the aggressive nature he has running routes and just how – physical he is with his route running if that makes sense i mean the dude's just so precise um that's what's gonna get him to play on sundays is because he he's he just the way he runs routes is just almost where you just can't guard him and yeah. you know nick very good I had, direction yeah yeah i mean nick i had that same thought when when i was going in going into the game i was like i wonder how state's gonna try to cover him like is yaboa gonna have to step up and have a big game because the middle will be open if they're bracketing him, if they're doubling him. State tried everything, and it didn't work. It didn't matter. And, and a couple of times they had good coverage on him. I, well, I think he was in the corner of the end zone. It was, uh, if you're on your radio dials, left to right, we were going towards the south end zone. 
and we threw that ball. He kind of had him wrong-shouldered. I think that was Elijah Moore back in the back of the corner of the end zone. It was almost a throwaway pass. I mean, they, they had him covered well all night, but the dude's just so good at finding exactly where the soft spot in the defense, getting exactly past the sticks, and just being in the right spot at the exact right second. I mean, it, it, I think he may be the best route runner we've had. Is that crazy to say? I mean, I – yeah, we're seeing what DK and, and AJ Brown are doing in the NFL, but those guys are physical specimens. And I don't think if you saw Elijah Moore walking down the street, I mean, he's probably pretty cut, but he's not—he's not super big, he's not super tall. I mean, he's fast, he's smart, and he—I mean, his in and out of cuts is unbelievable for him. Well, you know, to to I guess get back to the you know a macro aspect of the game. I, I didn't think that the defense played terrible. Um, in fact, I, you know, I thought they played better, I, especially given the circumstances of who's playing over there right now. And, you know, you lose a guy early with a targeting penalty. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that State um, – well, you know, And you lost – you lost probably your best offensive – excuse me, defensive lineman, second play of the game. You did. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I'm not saying that the penalties didn't exist, but – Man, it's like they there were so many, you know, that state got away with it. They overturned the face mask call. I don't know how that wasn't a face mask. Oh. They they picked the flag <laughs> up. That was so bad. It was so bad. And, you know, there were a lot of and this is I guess including when Ole Miss is on offense, a lot of holding penalties, a lot of holding penalties. And um I'm not saying that they weren't all called. I mean, they weren't all justified, but Man, I mean, realistically, you could probably call holding on every single play. So, you know, the fact that they just decided they were going, you know, throw that many flags this this game was was something. I, um, I thought that, like I said, I thought the defense played better. State's not good on offense at all. Um, I, I like to, I like to think that you know a few of the opt-outs for Mississippi State were very critical in a game like this, like Kylan Hill, them not having Kylan Hill, not having a true running threat. Of mm-hmm. course, at the same time with Mike Leach, would they try to run it? You know, it's all of those things go into consideration. Ole played well. I mean, anytime you win the Egg Bowl, it's a good win. And this is the first time that Ole Miss has won a – a true one-score Egg Bowl in, man, since, what, 97? I mean, most of our Egg Bowls are blowouts, and I get it in 17, Ole Miss won by, what, three or 15, whenever year, I think it was 17, because State had that, you know, they stormed back late. They come back, yeah. But that's not the same. I mean, Ole Miss was up two or three scores most of the game. Here, this was like a true – Hey, we're gonna you know keep the score seven to ten points and hold on at the end. Ole Miss just doesn't do that in the egg ball. Ole Miss either blows Mississippi State out and the game is never in doubt, or unless there's I guess maybe a late comeback like in seventeen, or State blows Ole Miss out. There are very few times that the egg ball is a true close game, and this was one of them. Well. I think it, I think it's been a close game a couple of times and Ole Miss wins. I mean the the overtime loss with what separate overtime losses down in Starkville. I mean they win those close games, but you know just back on you're talking about back on the defense. The defense played well early, and I mean looking at the yards, 480 yards is, is a pretty bad day, at, you know, in the office in terms of yards. But it's 2.4 yards a carry, 
So they're getting nothing when they're running the ball. And I, I think they had 39 yards rushing, and I think 11 came on one play. So on one rush. Yeah. So I mean, not a ton of yards there. And then they had 7.1 yards of pass compared to our 10.5. So, yeah, they had 440 yards passing on 45 completions. So, I mean, they're dinking and dunking up the middle. And, I mean, what, 50 of those yards came on uh, an essentially a Hail Mary where our guys just decided they would try and go up and catch the ball rather than batting it down. I don't – I mean, it almost cost us now, a game, truthfully. Now, I will say, in their defense, I went back and watched it, Dean Leonard tried to knock it down and just missed. Which okay, I, well, not an excuse. There should have been three other guys trying to fight over right. who knocked it down first. But okay, real quick, who was State's leading rusher? Can you name him? The quarterback. Yeah, probably. That's all, yeah. <laughs> it was Will Rogers. Four carries, twenty six yards. Yeah. Um, he, he had he had an eleven yarder at one point. That was their longest run of the game. It was a big third down yeah, or fourth down conversion, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was because it was, I believe, like Key Henry and Kedron, Kedron Smith ran into each other trying to make it the was play. Th- it was right. 15 yards. Um, now, I it, I will say, I, I will give credit where it's due. I thought Will Rogers did a fine job with what the game plan was for State. And like you said, Dinkin and Duncan, they ran that shallow mesh route all night long. And they credit to Leach and that staff because they called it when Ole Miss was in man. It seemed like every single time, and you just got dudes chasing Ole Miss. Eventually, Durkin and Partridge did eventually shift and, and kind of adjust their coverage. They uh, disguised it a bunch where AJ Finley and Otis Reese were basically waiting on that crossing route, and they were starting to really tee off. Um, and that's where they kind of had to start airing it out. But I will say. Jaden Wally, the true freshman from Mississippi State, that guy's a dude. He had a hell of a game. He had nine catches for 176 yards. That dude is probably going to be Rogers' go-to guy for the next couple of years. Um, he looks pretty damn, pretty damn good for them. Um, but yeah, no Colin Hill. I mean, they just they, they don't have any rushing threat. I mean, that's to me watching this Ole Miss defense. That's where you you punish them. Uh, Kevin Harris did it for South Carolina. Najee Harris did it. Uh, for Alabama, and then you had um, losing his name right now, um, the running back for Auburn. Um, oh my God, he's got a, he's got an awesome name. What's his damn name? Um, but he was able to punish Ole Miss. You talking about Tank um, Bigsby? Tank Bigsby, yes. Um, had a whale of a game for Auburn. Um, so to me, that, that you know Kentucky earlier in the year rushing attack that's that's almost seems to be their Achilles heel but um Ole Miss's defense yeah like you said Ben stepped up um looking at the stats for this game um Mississippi State was three of 14 on third down that'll get it done any Saturday that right there is is how you win football games and and that was what Ole Miss did they got them off the field on third down um and they were able to get the ball back in the hands of crowd and the offense now my only gripe for the game, this is my only one, I promise. I thought Ole Miss had some opportunities to put this game to bed early in the red zone. Got a little cute. I think they need to go to number 24 in the red zone more. I think you need yeah, to put Snoop Connor in there. 
he seems to have just a nose for the end zone when 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 Ole Miss is down there inside the five. Pad level low. As good as Ely is, and as good as Henry Parrish was on Saturday, he's starting to come on a little bit. You just sometimes you just got to put the guy in there that's got a little more weight behind the pads. Um, that was my only gripe, honestly. I, I thought the rest of the game plan, outside of that one weird series, I, I thought I thought it was great. I mean, I mean, they managed the game well. Not to undermine your point, Zach, because I think Snoop Connor's a great player, but I don't think that the reason Ole Miss wasn't scoring was because Jerry Neely was the running back. I mean, uh, like, he had probably the biggest carry of the game, and it wasn't that go-ahead touchdown. It was the one to get the first down when they were on, like, the 45-yard line with a few minutes to go that led to the touchdown. It was like a third and seven or eight, and Ole Miss ran up the middle, and Ely somehow got the first down. Now, that's not to to say that I I don't – I mean, I do agree that Snoop Connor should be the primary goal line back. Um, I, I'm definitely not. I think Henry Parrish is a great running back, and he certainly made a couple of cuts on Saturday that are elite. One in particular where he got three or four extra yards after making a one-step cut that was very impressive. That said, man, I think Jerry Neely is the best running back we've had since John Avery, Deuce McAllister. Like, he is good. I mean, he is fast, and he is very good. So it's just hard for me to say, well, let's not play. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's put the other guy in. I, I don't necessarily disagree. I just don't know that, you know, the difference there is is Ely as much as it is. Errol Thompson just kind of whooped us. I mean, that we were getting whipped up front by Mississippi State, especially on the goal line. One time, I think it was Thompson, he almost took the handoff. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It, I think it was Thompson. And the, the problem too is, and I don't know if it's a it's a feature of wanting to play Parrish, kind of in the red area, in, in the the forty to the twenty, that scoring opportunity area. He played a lot, and I think he had at least one run down there inside the inside the ten. And we we run up to the line of scrimmage and we run the hurry up and we don't want to substitute anybody, which is is great in theory, but in, in practice it leaves you with Henry Parrish on, on the you know on the with the ball at the four yard line, and then you do the same thing on second down and and it, it almost seemed like on three separate occasions inside the ten yard line we kind of got a little bit over our skates uh, down there. Uh, going into the student section, I think it was towards Mingo and Corral threw a ball about 75 miles an hour that if he throws 73 miles an hour, it's probably in Mingo's hands. He may be in the end zone, but he's definitely got the first down. I think it was about the 15 yard line going to the North end zone. We're just a little bit ahead of ourselves. and, And I think that, that desire to go so fast almost ends up kind of biting us in the end zone because you've the defense has less to concern themselves with when the ball's at the seven yard line than they do when the, the ball's at the 47 yard line. And it's almost like we we just kind of get going a little too fast. We get a little, a little too cute. I, I do think that there's a little bit left to be desired with that red zone play call. And I mean, there has to be. You left too many points out there. So clearly something was going wrong. And, and if, being like you said, Errol Thompson's taking the handoff in the backfield you know, scheme it differently. You know what I mean? Don't let him almost take the hand off in the backfield. So uh, I think that there's definitely an area to improve there. Just, and it's tough. I mean, I, I get it. Everyone's, you know, won't stops inside the red zone, but you've got to kind of find a way to come away with seven points, one extra time compared to what we did Saturday. 
Yeah, I agree. And yeah, whether that's putting Snoop in or, you know, getting the the right personnel in, um, which, you know, like we said, we're, we're in hangover edition, we're in hindsight mode. So obviously we're going to, we're going to be, we're going to be critical, but, um, but yeah, uh, we're going to take our break real quick. We're going to come back and close things up, talk about the last two games for the Rebels. So hang tight and we'll be right back. It's Zach again, Podcast Rebellion, to remind you of our lovely sponsors here at the show. If you like New Orleans-inspired cuisine, go see Kelly English and the good folks in Memphis at Second Line or Restaurant Iris for some fantastic food and cocktails. You can also travel down to the coast to Magnolia House in Biloxi at Harris Gulf Coast. Blackjack, craps, slots, southern cooking, cocktails, what's not to like? All three fantastic establishments Part of the Kelly English Restaurant Group. Good food, good people, good cocktails. It can't be beat. That's Second Line, Restaurant Hours in Memphis, and Magnolia House in Biloxi. Speaking of good food, if you're in Oxford, go see Greg and the good folks at LB's Meat Market, the inaugural sponsor of this year's podcast, on University Avenue, across from Kroger. Celebrate with the best protein for your almost grilling needs with Greg and the rest of the folks there. And be sure to tell them that Red Cup sent you for exclusive deals and promotions. Remember, the Philly combo is back for just $10 right now. And you've got your lunch specials 11 to 3.30, Monday through Friday. That's LB's Meat Market on University, across from Kroger. Arby's is full of shit. LB's has the meats. Speaking of Oxford, if you're looking to get some libations going, be sure to check out Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery. It's a quick little eight-minute drive south of Oxford on Old Taylor Road, and it's the only spot in the Magnolia State for a true grain-to-glass gin experience. The space is fantastic. Chan and the rest of the guys there are doing some fantastic stuff. Uh, Go there, get a tour, do a tasting, or you could do both. Inquire about maybe renting it out for a private event, maybe an anniversary, a wedding reception, a rehearsal dinner, something The place is amazing. That's Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery in Taylor, Mississippi. And be sure to follow them on Instagram for all their latest updates and uh, comings and goings there at Wonderbird. Speaking of libations, if you're in Memphis and you're looking to stock the cooler this year, Old Dominic on South Front Street is your place to go. Just like Wonderbird, you can go there for a tasting, for a tour, or both. And be sure to check out the rooftop bar, which is super awesome. has some great views of downtown Memphis, of the Mississippi River. Uh, you can try their Healing Station High Rye Bourbon, the Memphis Toddy, the Memphis Vodka, or the new Honey Bell Vodka. You can get it all there or at your local package store. So celebrate with that Healing Station bourbon, a very small batch High Rye Bourbon by the folks at Old Dominic. It's a bold classic whiskey with notes of stone fruit, dark cherry, just the right amount of spice and heritage that dates back to 1866. You can enjoy it neat or even in your favorite cocktail like an old-fashioned. It's got a mash bill of 52% corn, 44% rye, and 4% malt. Healing Station stands alone in its category of high-rye bourbons. So you could do that, or you can enjoy a quick taste of Memphis Toddy before the game this weekend, and then you can wind down with that Healing Station afterwards. So, like we always say, 
ask your pa- ask, ask your package store where you can find Healing Station by Old Dominic. And as always, OD encourages you to share SIP responsibly. And last but certainly not least, if you're in the market for a new vehicle, make it a Clark Ford vehicle. Corey Clark and the rest of the folks in Amory, Mississippi on Highway 25 are committed to finding you a new vehicle today. Be sure to browse their inventory online, request more information about the vehicles, set up a test drive, and inquire about financing all online. If you want to do it a little old school, maybe uh, conversate via telephone, you can give them a call at 662-257-1900 and get in a new Ford today. We're back here on Podcast Rebellion, Hangover Edition, talking Ole Miss's 31-24 win over Mississippi State in the Egg Bowl. All right, real quick, before we talk A&M and LSU, I want to touch on this before I forget. I thought the We Run the Sip Hats was a pretty awesome idea, not because of what it says or what it because it was after the Egg Bowl. I thought the idea of handing out hats, almost like a, like a championship hat, like after a championship win or like a bowl game win, I thought that was a pretty pretty slick idea by the uh i don't know who if it was the staff or um or who i, I thought that was cool it, it is cool especially in a year where you're you know you there may not be i, I know they're saying they're going to be bowl games but we just don't know that with we don't know what's going to happen mm-hmm. with covid so that's well, a we very could be good invited idea, to the las vegas bowl and it not happen it, that's what i'm saying like we yeah, may be invited point. to a bowl and game. i think that's kind of Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that was that was pretty genius, and I think that that's kind of lost, and people think it's oh, well, Ole Miss is making it like it's their Super Bowl. It's a weird year. It's it's 2020. I mean, who knows by you know the end of December? I mean, things might be completely shut down again. No one knows. So I thought that was a nice uh, a nice addition to uh, the celebration at the end, and then the cigars were cool. And um, yeah, I mean, I thought that was a I thought that was a neat little feature to throw in there by, by Kiffin and the staff. All right, so we got a look on Saturday at the last two opponents for Ole Miss. A&M and LSU played each other in arguably one of the most terrible games of the season. Nick and I talk, uh, touched on it last night. Uh, or excuse me, uh, Ben and I touched on it. I didn't watch hardly any of it. Um, ben, Nick, I don't know how much you guys watched of it. Kellamon was abysmal in this game. Isaiah Spiller just kind of carried the load, and they just kind of sat on LSU. Um, the Tigers are reeling. Terrace Marshall opted out. They don't know who their quarterback is. They've got all kinds of all, all kinds of issues in the locker room, off the field. How do we feel about Ole Miss taking on A and M as a free shot, and then the last game of the year, the Magnolia Bowl against a team that hell, we don't know what LSU is going to look like in a couple weeks. Well, I mean, I'll I'll start and go with LSU quickly. I think oh, that's game that game's going to be around a pick'em probably in in point spread. Ole Miss might be slightly favored, um, just given the fact that it's a road game. Even though home home field advantage really shouldn't matter in COVID, LSU's reeling though. Um, I expect Ole Miss to go there and win. Uh, I think A and M is more of a free shot. They're pretty good on defense. Even though Kelamai is not very good, I'm just afraid that given, the, again, just like we said with Mississippi State, given the status of and 
you know, Ole, the way who Ole Miss has got on defense to work with right now is just not going to be not going to be able to take advantage of the fact that Mond just isn't very good. Well, you know, yeah, I, I do think. I mean, I watched a little bit of this game, Zach. You, you touched on it. I mean, combined, I don't know if y'all saw these numbers. Combined, there was five hundred and thirty-four yards of offense in that game, <laughs> and they they each had two hundred and sixty-seven. Which is incredible. <laughs> What's even more incredible is they were each two of sixteen on third down. We talked part about of that probably. I think the, the weather was it's crazy. Yeah, I mean it's it's terrible. I, it just that was one of the worst the games Ol- I've seen yet this year. So Ole Miss had more total yards than both of them combined in one of their more mediocre offensive games. Yeah, we also had more third down conversions than the both than both teams combined. <laughs> I mean, it was it was terrible. I I think Ole Miss's offense is just good enough to go down to Texas A and M and scare the living daylights out of them and lose like forty three thirty six type. I think it's just good enough to go down there and and not not quite get enough points in the red zone type. Uh, but but play really close. I mean, I think the LSU game. I mean, I just wish we could play it tomorrow. That's my only concern is that I, I and maybe that's just years of losing to, to LSU when we you know when when we had maybe a better team than them or a, a team that was at least as good. I know we went down there in, in what sixteen and, and and should have beaten them or I guess in fourteen. Excuse me. But this LSU team is, I mean, ripe for the picking. And who knows? Maybe they'll figure out a quarterback by the time we play them. And they had two quarterbacks last week that both had very mediocre games. Um, I think they they went through for 118, went through for 113. But that is a that is a team that should not be able to score a ton of points. And I mean, I, I think if we I think if we play as well as we did Saturday, which wasn't exceptional, then we beat LSU. I just that LSU team is getting worse by the week. And I mean, they play Alabama this week. Don't they play Florida in a, in another week? I mean, they're they're losing on average about a starter a week maybe one and a half starters a week. They could be down two or three more guys by the time they face us. Or hell, more. I mean, it's the last game of the season. If you're an LSU player and you're a junior or senior, why are you still on the field at that point unless it's going to be your final game of your career? Well, the thing that I keep coming back to about these two games is, you know, this isn't your, you know, this isn't your, uh, your dad's Matt Luke on this team. Um, you know, this is an Ole Miss offense that is dynamic. Um, they have a top three guy at quarterback. They have a top three guy at receiver. And statistically, as a unit, they have a top three running back room. Uh, Ole Miss still leads the SEC in rushing over 200 a game. They lead the conference in total yards. Um, and this is in the same conference as a Mac Jones, Alabama offense, and a Kyle Trask, Florida offense. So. This isn't just a team that just, you know, chunks it deep and goes for the big play all the time. Levy and Kiffin have been able to showcase some balance. They've been able to – they did it in the Auburn game. Auburn – Nick alluded to it earlier. They took away Elijah Moore and Ole Miss went to the running game. Matt Corral ran for 80-something yards, and then Ely and Connor chipped in for 75-plus each. So – this isn't just a pass happy, you know, offense that's just only going to do it through the air. So that's my thing in a game. So, like, 
scaring A&M. I think that's something Ole Miss can definitely do. I don't know if they can win, but they're not going to go there and just get beat down. I think the offense is, is too balanced, too dynamic, and I think the coaching staff will be ready, especially with an extra week to prepare. Um, and then talking about LSU, that's a game that Ole Miss should absolutely win. And this isn't – I know this is an Ole Miss podcast, so we're obviously a little biased. But, I mean, the, the, the proof is in the pudding. We, we've seen it all year long. This team has shown the ability to make adjustments defensively. I think they've gotten better every year, and I know that they're still not great, but they've shown the ability to adjust on the fly. And, look, we, we're 30 minutes in, and we haven't talked about Otis Reese yet. Otis Reese is a game changer, and he made a ton of plays on Saturday. He affected a ton of stuff that Leach was trying to do underneath. They put him in a spy on Will Rogers. They put him uh, man coverage on slot guys. They put him man coverage on the tight end. He hung with the the running back because Will Rogers was dumping it out to the running back a ton when nothing was open downfield. I think that the combination of just a – balanced, dynamic Ole Miss offense and a defense that is gaining confidence week after week and is going to have another week to get healthy is a nice little recipe going into the holiday season to ensure that Ole Miss has a chance to win both games. I think they beat LSU, and I think they definitely give A&M a scare. Um, guys, if we said 5-5, five and five, you would absolutely take that. Oh, absolutely. And I don't want to overhype what we could do against Texas A&M, but I'm just looking at their schedule. They've got Auburn this weekend on the road. Uh, They've got a road game at at Tennessee. I guess that's going to be the last week of the season, Uh, you know, the 19th of December on on what would be SEC title game Saturday. Uh, So they're going to have a lot to prove. But I just – I mean, looking at it, there's two options this weekend. They're going to win or they're going to lose. If they win – I think that, you know, Ole Miss is going to hear about this Texas A&M team needing to run up the score on teams so they can get into the playoff. They can sneak in as the four seed and have a rematch with Alabama in which they can lose by 40. But I think you're going to hear that. Or they're going to lose and they're going to be extremely flat after the Auburn game because they've kind of lost everything they're playing for. I think it sets up really well for us. I I wish we were like 10% better on defense because I would feel really good about it. But I think that this Ole Miss team has got no one to prepare for but Texas A&M at this point. Mm-hmm. And they've got nothing to read but Texas A&M press clippings. And we, I've said this a couple times this year, there's not a ton of teams in the SEC that want to play football. I know Alabama does. I think Florida does. I know Texas A&M does. I think Ole Miss and Arkansas do. Past that, there's not many teams. I definitely don't think LSU can – if Texas A&M loses, do they want to keep playing football? But I, I do know one thing, and that's Ole Miss wants to play football. This team likes playing together. Uh, like I said, they're going to have Otis Reese. They're going to get um, number five that they got disqualified in the first half. His name's escaping me. Um, oh, Jonathan Haynes. Zach. Yeah, they're going to get Jonathan Haynes. He That didn't happen in the second half. So as, as much as it, I think it hurt us a lot against MSU, and I think the outcome is probably more in our favor if he plays the whole game, he's back you know, first play of the game, that Texas A&M game. So, you know, they're going to read all about how Texas A&M is, is on path for, you know, sneaking in as that five seed, or excuse me, as that four seed in the in the college football playoff. And I, I just think, I mean, you know, hey, go out, have some fun, let's play spoiler. And I kind of think that that's perfect for Kiffin. And I think he's going to have some stuff drawn up, and I think he would love nothing more 
than to go on the road in College Station against Jimbo and kind of show them up. Well, you, you bring up a, an interesting point there that I hadn't thought about. Okay, win or lose against Auburn, that doesn't really matter to me. They're not playing in the SEC championship. They're You say they're trying to go for that outside shot, the four seed. I think they're, they're more going to be watching to see if Ohio State's going to be able to get six games in because if they do, they're going 6-0. and They're going to go to the Big Ten title game. They're going to beat, mm-hmm. you know, whoever again. Indiana. So what's A&M going to have to play for? Is Jimbo going to be able to get them up for an Ole Miss game? Maybe. I mean, he sure looked like he struggled last week against LSU. Yeah. And if so, they lose I mean, to Auburn, man, it's done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's just going to be an absolute body blow. And, lose and twice for the record, they're, they're, only three and a, they're only three and a half point favorites against Auburn. I don't I don't really see that. I think they're going to beat Auburn because I'm not in love with Auburn. But that's not exactly a game that they're, you know, Vegas is guaranteeing them to win. No, not at all. I mean, Auburn is is typically due for some weird, stupid win that they don't deserve, and this could be it. Um, And, yeah, I mean, I just don't like – I don't know. I I don't think they can get that four seed. So, to me, it's, you know, what are they playing for? Are they going to be motivated – are they going to be looking past Ole Miss? I mean, that that's there's so many things to consider. So, again, not saying that Ole Miss can win, but it's certainly not a crazy thing to think that they could give them a run. So, and like you said, that's something that Kiffin is just going to absolutely feed off of, and I think that that's going to be a huge message for the team this bye week and then going into game prep for next week because it is absolutely a free shot, and it is a game – that Ole Miss can certainly scare them. And look, if, if A&M doesn't bring their A game, if Isaiah Spiller is not going, if Kellen Mond plays remotely close to what he played against LSU, Matt Corral and that offense can get going. And you could look up in the fourth quarter and it's 31-17 Ole Miss. So it, it's sneaky, sneaky, sneaky trap game, even though they're at home. I can't, we can't rewrite history because they did beat Florida. But if they don't beat Florida, they're 5-2. and two, And Kellamon just threw for 11 of 34 for 105 yards against LSU. They're, they're talking about benching him if they don't beat Florida early in the season. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, 105 yards in an SEC game on 34 attempts. I mean, there's no excuse in that. So, you know, that's a quarterback. Hey, he might throw for 700 against Ole Miss. But it's a quarterback that I think that we can beat. Absolutely. All right, we're going to hang it up there. We'll have our uh, Legal Gambling Council episode for you later this week to give you our picks. As Ben and I told you on an earlier episode this week, we went 7-4 and four on the week. We had one cancellation or one postponement, excuse me, 7-4, uh, and four, still in the black, having uh, still having a really good year compared to what we were at this point last year. So, um Tune in for our Legal Gambling Council episode. We'll give you our locks, and uh, we'll get ready for another weekend of college football. So anything else, Nick? That's uh, Like I said, I mean, I we wish we were playing this week, but, you know, two more games, we'll enjoy them. Yeah, we'll take a free bye week to get ready to uh, play spoiler. So, again, thank you all for listening to Podcast Rebellion Hangover Edition. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Ben and Nick over there. Thank you to y'all, the listeners, for tuning in. Y'all stay safe out there. 
Happy holidays. We out.